Just an early service, I want to say it again. Uh, you could go to a lot of really big, large churches around the state of Texas today. You wouldn't hear anything better than that, what you just heard. That was just fantastic. Uh, what a wonderful service. Uh, great time of baptism. Uh, very meaningful time. Just a, just a wonderful time. Music was good. Uh, I appreciate all these folks who help us with their music. Just outstanding. What a great service. And so <clears throat> this is one of those days when I, I feel like I'm the, uh, the period at the end of the sentence, you know. Everything's gone well. I hope it'll go well from here on in. Uh, Christmas, Christmas really is a sort of a strange time, isn't it? No other time of the year do we sit in our living room in front of a dead tree that we brought in there and eat candy out of our socks. <laughs> and uh, it is an unusual time, and we have, we have truly built up a lot of traditions around it. My text today is found in Matthew chapter 1, chapter 1 of Matthew. And I'm going to use a lot. I'm not going to read it because it's a long reading. I'm going to use uh, a lot of the passages out of, out of this uh, chapter 1 as we look at this great, what I think is one of the really great um, passages in the entire Bible. And um, I just want us to concentrate for just a moment on the real heart, the real bottom line of what, uh, what Christmas is. Let's pray together, please. Thank you, Father, for your love and for your care. And we talked about your love today, and we light the candle of love today. And we are... We're just so amazed in our day at how much you love us and that you love us when we're not worthy and that you love us in spite of what we sometimes are. And we're just thankful today for your love. We pray that as we come into this part of our service, we'll be able to sense your presence. And I ask, Father, that you will speak to the hearts of every person here and I pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Suppose, just for this time this morning, suppose there were no Christmas trees, no gifts, no Christmas cards, no decorations, no lights, no musical pageants, would it still be Christmas? What I would like to do today, and I, don't, get, don't get me wrong, these things are very important. Uh, Christmas, I love Christmas trees, and I love the lights and everything. When we were in Mexico, down the southern part of Mexico, they don't do Christmas trees there. They don't give gifts at Christmas time. They give gifts on, gifts on January the 6th, which is the, uh, the day the kings came and gave the gifts. That's when they give gifts. And they don't give very many gifts at, at that point. The people we worked with were, were very poor people. They might give one gift to a person and that sort of thing. And they concentrated more on other things. But I, I can remember going all through that area down there, the peninsula uh, down in, in southern Mexico, looking for any kind of tree, finally bringing home a scraggly tree that didn't look at all like a Christmas tree. And we had to tape it to the wall for it to stand up <laughs> so that my kids would have a Christmas tree. So don't get me wrong. I understand the importance of the traditions. And I understand how important they are to our families. We've lived through it, as I'm sure many of you have as well. But I, I want us to, to, to just sort of take away all, all of the other things 
And I want us to get down to the bedrock. I want us to get down to the foundation. And I want us to think seriously today about what is the baseline of Christmas and what's the most important part of Christmas. And of course, it is the gift that God has given to us, the gift of himself and the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. And with it, of course, the gift of salvation. And what we do with that gift is a very important part of, of Christmas as well, right? Uh, just, just to take all the stuff away and look at the bottom line, that's what I'd like for us to do today. Looking at uh, chapter 1 of Matthew, it begins, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, that's my translation, but literally, literally, how that begins is, this is the book of the genesis of Jesus Christ. Uh, sometimes we wonder why Matthew got placed first in the Gospels. Uh, we know Mark was written first, and, and Matthew even used Mark as he, as he wrote his Gospel. And we know, we know how important that is. Why was Matthew placed first? I believe it's because of this very first line, because this is the genesis, the genesis, the first genesis had to do with the creation, and God is the creator, and, and how he created this world. This genesis is the genesis of the new day, the genesis of the Savior, the genesis of the salvation, the genesis of everything that comes with the new covenant that we as Christians live in today. And uh, that's a very important part. I, I've always been fascinated with the genealogy. Always been fascinated with the genealogy here, it's given in... in uh, Matthew, uh, one of the things that fascinates me is the women that are named. The very, fact, the very fact that women were named at all in a book written in that time is amazing because uh, they would not have been named at all in, in normal writings of that day. And the, the women here, and I know many of you have heard this, heard this before, but it's just fascinating to me. As you look down in verse 3, we read about Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. That's a story that's found in Genesis chapter 38. And Judah's son, uh, first son, married Tamar. And he died. And the law was back in that day, the biblical law was, if a brother dies, then a brother would move in to take over that, that, uh, that heritage so that, that that one would have a heritage. But the brother that came to take over uh, didn't want to be a father of a child by, by Tabar. And so he, he didn't allow that to happen. And he died. At that point, Judah is very concerned that, that you know, his next son might die as well. And so he asked Tamar to go home. And Tamar went home and he said, we'll wait until our next son gets a little older. Well, when the son got a little older, uh, it didn't. Uh, Judah didn't want to have anything to do with Tamar. And so you remember the story. Tamar set herself up as, as, as a harlot beside the road. She was not a harlot, but she set herself up as a, as a harlot beside the road. And Judah came along, and Judah, uh, you know, went in, wanted to go into this harlot. And so she said, well, what will you give me? And he said, well, I'll give you an animal. And what will you give me so that I know you're going to give me something? And he, he gave her his staff and, and his cord 
uh, and, and things that were very personal to him personally uh, that she could keep until she got the gift and went into her. And she got pregnant. Tamar got pregnant. And uh, uh, she never did that again. She was not a real prostitute in any, any sense of the word. She never did it again. And, and when Judah found out that she was pregnant, he said, well, she's, she's a sinner, so I'm going to get rid of her altogether. And then she sent him the stuff that he'd, he'd given her. You, you remember the story, right? She sent her the stuff that, that, that he'd given her. And then Judah said, she is more righteous than I because I did not fulfill my responsibility. He never again uh, went into Tamar. And Tamar was not a bad person. Uh, but she did this because she'd been left behind. And, but in biblical terms, in Old Testament terms, this was incest. Is it interesting to you that in Jesus' heritage is this situation of incest? And through Paris, one of the twins, the, 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 the lineage came on. Let me tell you, of all the people in the world, the Jewish people all know about their heritage. I mean, they know about their heritage. You can talk to Jews today, and they'll tell you what tribe they're from. Uh, they, they, they'll tell you all about that. They know about their heritage. Uh, more than any other tribe, any other people that's ever lived, the Jews are very much aware of their heritage. And I can guarantee you Jesus was aware of his heritage. And what's amazing to me is that when God sent his only begotten son, he sent him into this, this kind of, uh, of heritage. Uh, well, you go down, this, you go down here. The next one is, is down in verse 5. Next woman is Rahab. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, you remember who Rahab was. Uh, uh, in Joshua chapter 6, when they went to Jericho, uh, Joshua sent out the spies. The spies went to spy out what Jericho was all about. And Rahab, the prostitute Rahab, she was really a prostitute. The prostitute Rahab was the one who hid them and took care of them and sent the, sent the other guys in a different direction when they came looking for him. And so she said, what are you going to do for me? And they said, when Jericho's destroyed, if you'll hang, hang a scarlet ribbon in your window. You remember that story? A scarlet ribbon in your story. Then, then everyone that's in your house will be saved. Everyone in your house will be saved. Nobody else will be saved, but everyone that's in your house will be saved. And that happened, and Rahab became a part of the people of God. She became such an important part of the people of God that in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, in that list of great, great saints, in that, that 11th chapter of Hebrews, she's listed there. She's also listed in the second chapter of James. Rahab became a spiritual uh, uh, a saint, a spiritual leader. Now, I've often wondered, in John chapter 8, when they brought that woman that was caught in adultery to him. You remember the story? They brought the, 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 the woman caught in adultery to him. And uh, he said, you know, let him that's without uh, sin himself throw the first rock. You remember that story, right? I often wonder if Jesus, when he looked at him, thought, well, you know, that could be Rahab. That could be my great, 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 however many times grandmother. I, I don't know. This is, this is amazing to me. It, it touches me. And you go down to the next one here, and the next one is found in, in uh, well, the same verse. Um, Boaz, the father of Ovid, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. And the law said no Moabite would ever come into the temple. No Moabite could ever be a part of the worship. Now, Ruth was unique in that she made the decision. The whole book of Ruth is about Ruth. 
and, and she made the decision to follow God, and she claimed God as her own, and that was important. You know, ask me not to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go, and, and your people will be my people, and, and, and your God will be my God. She claimed God herself, and this outsider, this one that was not able to come into the temple became a part of, of and a part of the lineage, the lineage. Is that amazing or not? You've got the outsider, you've got the problem with incest, you've got the prostitute. I mean, I mean this, is, uh, this is a part of the lineage of Christ. This is the family of Christ, the family of Jesus. It's a fantastic uh, idea to me. Then the next one is down in verse eight, 6. It talks about David being the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Matthew didn't even put Bathsheba's name in here, but that's who he's talking about. And that was that adulterous relationship, you remember, between King David and, and, and Bathsheba. And you remember the, the child came from that, died. But after that, uh, you know, David went to comfort her, and that's when Solomon was born. <laughs> it's amazing uh, what God could do. But what's really amazing is this lineage, this family of Jesus that was given. I, it's fascinating to me. And then the other woman, of course, is Mary down in verse 16. Uh, the husband of Mary, Mary was the mother of Jesus. Who was, and Mary was a real saint. I mean, you know, we're, we're uncomfortable sometimes with some of our Christian brethren because they elevate her to more than that, but, but without a doubt. And so what do, you have in, what do you have in Jesus' family? You got the saints and you got the sinners and you got the outcasts. Am I making any sense to y'all? This is amazing to me. What do you think we have in the family today? Listen, what do you think we have in the family today? The family of God. That's us, the church. We got the saints, and we got the sinners, and we got the outcasts. It's just, it's just, uh, it's just amazing to me. I, let me read a passage to you from, from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 6. Just let me read this passage to you for a moment. <clears throat> Verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then listen to what he says. And that is what some of you were. That's exactly what some of you were, he says. Uh, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Ray Stedman, a great, great preacher from the West Coast, said he preached on this particular uh, passage, this, this First Corinthians passage, to his congregation one day. And then after he preached, to, after he read the passage, he says, all right, how many of you were this? And he called off one thing and they held up their hands. How many of you were this? You know. That's what you were, but you became a Christian. You found God's grace, and God is so gracious. God is so gracious. If we don't know of any other time of the year that God is gracious, I'm telling you, when it comes to Christmas time, we've got to know God is so gracious, and he's so gracious to us. You know, uh, God, God demonstrates his own love toward us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and we become a part of And so you've got these, in, well, let's look at, Go back to the genealogy with me. Let's talk about the kings. David was a good king. That's in verse 6. 
Solomon started off well, but it did not end up well. Rehoboam was a bad king. Uh, Asa was a really good king. Jehoshaphat was a good king. Jehoram was not a good king. He was a bad king. Uzziah was a good king. Joseph was a good king. Ahaz was not a good king. Ahaz, uh, Hezekiah was a good king. And then Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, who was king for 52 years. And he's the worst of the whole bunch. The worst of the whole bunch. That's what the Bible says. Worst king, worst king of all. And then you've got Ammon, which was a bad king. And then Josiah, who was a good king. Uh, Jeconiah, who was a bad king. And, and what do you have here? What do you have here in, in the heritage of Christ? You got the good, and you got the bad, and you got the ugly, don't you? That's exactly what you got. You got the good, the bad, and they're all a part of the kingdom. Let me tell you about the church. Let me tell you about the church. What do we have in the church? We got the good, we got our saints, we got the bad, we got our bad, and folks, we got the uglies too. And I, for whatever it's worth, I want you to know I know who the uglies are. I've been with you one year, and that's long enough to figure out who the uglies are. And when I said this in early service, three or four of the women looked at their husband. That really happened. I didn't make that up. Here's the thing that's so fascinating to me. This is a part of Jesus' family. This is a part of the family that God chose for Jesus. And we're that family today. We're the other side of that family, but we're that family. And we've still got the saints and the sinners and the outcasts. I, it's fascinating to me. And what a blessing it is. And so we move that to talk about what he talked about in these other passages here. And I want to get down to verse 18. And um, it's God's great gift. When you take away everything else, all that stuff I talked about earlier, when you take away everything else about Christmas, it comes down to the fact that God has given us this incredible gift. And it's the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the gift of himself. God has given us the gift of himself. And when you go all the way to the bare soul of, of Christianity, go down to the foundation of what Christmas is all about, God has given us this incredible gift. And at the bottom line, folks, that's what Christmas is about. It's, a, it's an act of God. John 3.16, we've already, uh, Bruce already meant, uh, quoted John 3.16 to us before. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse, verse 17. Thanks be to God who's given us this indescribable gift. Or Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is, is uh, salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, or Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are you saved, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This gift, this gift of salvation, the gift of Christ, the gift of God himself to us, that's what we celebrate. And I just want to work through this passage. I'm going to do it real quickly here. Uh, it's an act of God. It's a miraculous act. Verses 18 through 20, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. 
because Joseph, uh, her husband, was faithful to the law. He was a good man, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to di divorce her. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary's your wife, because what is conceived, what the, the word is begotten, what is conceived or begotten in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's a miraculous act. And, and let me tell you something. I get tired sometimes of the way we Christians try to melt everything down so it'll be acceptable to people who are not Christians. But folks, you cannot take the miraculous out of Christianity. You cannot take the miraculous. There are great A miracles and great B miracles. A great A miracle is one that cannot be explained. Great B miracle is for those of us who are believers, it's definitely a miracle. But we could say, well, he had a good doctor, he had a good medicine, you know, whatever like that, some other reason. But I want to talk, tell you, a great A miracle is one that can't be explained away. And this one is a great A miracle. I mean, you, you know, here are the children of Israel walking through the, the sea, and the sea standing up like walls on both sides of them. Brother, you can't explain that one away. And you cannot explain the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You cannot, you cannot explain that by some natural way. You, we cannot take the miraculous out of, of Christianity. Not only is it a miraculous act, it's a holy act. It's a holy act. And so look in verse, verse 18. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Look down in verse, verse uh, 20, down there. Don't be afraid to take her home because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God has done this. This is a God thing. God has done this. This is a holy, holy act. Not only that, it's a saving act. If you look at verse 21, she'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It's a saving act. Uh, the very name Jesus is, is, is the, it's the Greek equivalent of, of, of Joshua, the Old Testament. And if you remember, Joshua was, was the successor to Moses, and he's the one that took the people into the promised land. Jesus would be the one to take all of us who are his followers into heaven. He's to carry us into heaven along with him. Uh, there's another Joshua, and, and after they came back from the Bab Babylonian captivity, he was the high priest. And he, along with Zerubbabel, what did they do? They rebuilt the temple. And, and what Jesus came to do was to build a new kind of temple, and that is the temple of the church. It, it's, so, it's so symbolic, so, so significant. Every, it's like every word here. has a, and, and, and he will save his people, those who belong to him. He will save the ones who, who have given their lives to him. He will save his people from their sins. Always, it's a saving act. And then it's a fulfilling act. Look in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they'll call him Emmanuel. That comes from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I, a fulfilling act. I read several years ago Peter Stoddard's book, Science Speaks. And what Peter Stoddard said, uh, for all the Old Testament, for, uh, the Old Testament promises about prophecies and promises about who, who the Messiah would be to be fulfilled in one person at one time. For this to be a coincidence, 
he said, would have to be something like, he said, this is the way he put it. He's, he's speaking mathematical terms. I, I'm not a mathematician. I'm sure some of you are, but he's speaking mathematical terms. He said, for this to happen, just to be a coincidence, would be something like one to the 17th power. One to the 17th power. That means you've got a one and 17 zeros after it. A one and 17 zeros. Someone says it's like a hundred quadrillion or something like that. It didn't just happen, folks. This didn't just happen. The prophecies were there. They were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I'll tell you, you talk about an act of God. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Finally, it's a giving act. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the gift God gives. It's the gift of himself. Someone has said the only real gift anyone can give is the gift of themselves. All other gifts are gifts that just take, take place for that. The only real gift anyone can give is the gift of himself. God has given himself to us in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. He's given himself to us in the Holy Spirit. God has given us himself. You know, it's just this incredible gift, the gift of himself. I reminded C.S. Lewis' story. And I'm, the thing about preaching a Christmas sermon, you can't tell him, you can't tell people anything they haven't heard because they've heard them all, you know. But C.S. Lewis' story about trying to get the birds into the barn because the storm was coming. And he tried, he tried to chase them into the barn. If you've ever hunted birds, you know what happened. They all went everywhere, every direction. Tried to chase them into the barn, tried to get them into the barn some way, somehow get, get them into the barn. They wouldn't go. He tried everything he knew how to do, and finally he decided that the only way he could help those birds was, would be to become a bird like them and then communicate with them about how to get in the barn. That's what C.S. Lewis told him. God has given us himself. And that's such a gift. Now, what, what do we do with the gift? Well, we do two things. I'm talking about the baseline of Christmas. I'm talking about when you, when you take away all the stuff, carve away all the stuff, what's left? You've got God's gift to us and what we do with God's gift to us. And the first thing we must do is we must receive it. God has given a gift and we must receive it. Let me read a passage to you from, from the first chapter of John. <clears throat> he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That's his own people. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You see, when we receive uh, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in and have fellowship. When we open the door, when we receive him, when we receive the gift God has given, then we know that we are one of his people. We're the one of those that he will save. And we know that he is a part of our lives and we're a part of his life. That's what we do with the gift. We receive it. We receive the gift. And the second thing we do is we respond by giving ourselves to him. God has given himself for us. We respond by giving ourselves to him. I was reminded of the story of J. Lewis Shook, great 
great missionary when he, when he was struggling about the call to be a missionary. He passed the offering plate. When they passed the offering plate, he wrote on the note, I give myself, J. Lewis Shuck. He became a great missionary. Robert Moffat, another great missionary that uh, was struggling with it. Uh, they passed the collection plate. He literally took the collection plate, put it on the floor, stepped into the plate. He was giving himself to God. How do we, how do we, how do we respond? We receive the gift, and then we give ourselves to him, and we become one of his people that he will save. This is the key. We give ourselves. And I want to tell you about Albert Schweitzer. Albert Schweitzer, uh, Dr. Albert Schweitzer, in 1913, he went to French Equatorial Africa, built a large hospital there and a great medical facility. And in 1952, 39 years later, 1952, he received the Nobel Peace Prize. The Nobel Peace Prize at that time was $50,000. That doesn't sound like much today, but that was $52,000. $50, he took every bit of that money and put it into that hospital facility and built a leper colony along beside it. And one day he's treating a man, and a man said to him, who sent you? And Schweitzer said, the man of Nazareth sent me. The man of Nazareth sent me. At 80 years of age, after coming out of Africa for a year, at 80 years of age, he went back to Africa. And somebody said, why did you do that? Why would you go back to Africa? And his response was, I just had to do something for Jesus. Now listen to me. We're not Albert Schweitzer. We're not J. Louis Shook or Robert Moffat. We're not, we're not that kind of people. But we're people who can receive the gift of God. And in response, we can give ourselves to God. Give ourselves to God. Folks, that is the bottom line of what Christmas is all about. Let's pray. We thank you for this wonderful time of year, Father. So many wonderful things to thank you. But help us not to overlook the most important thing. And help us to keep in our minds and our heart what it is when everything else is stripped away what it is. We thank you for the great gift that you've given to us by giving yourself, by giving your only begotten Son. And we thank you, God, that we can open our hearts and receive you as our own Savior. You can become our King and our Lord. And Lord, we can give ourselves to you. And I pray if there be one person here today, one person who's never done that, I pray that today they might do it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Stand. We're going we're gonna to sing and uh, have a time of uh, decision. And I invite you to come forward and uh, make a decision. I'll be glad to talk to you. Uh, I, I can talk to you. If you don't want to talk to anybody, you can come and kneel down here, uh, pray and talk to God. Sit on the front pew here, pray and talk to God. Or you can do something right there where you are. You don't have to walk anywhere to do what God wants you to do. 
But I want you to think about what we've talked about today and make the decision God would lead you to make. Please do that. We'll see it together. It's time for you to decide. Mm-hmm.